All right. Good morning, everybody. It's great to have you here as well as joining us online as we continue our Mark series. Just a few weeks left of our series as we approach, believe it or not, Easter Sunday, which is in March this year. Anybody ready for spring? I think I'm okay if spring comes. I got a question for you today as we look into the 13th chapter of Mark. Have you ever grown sleepy behind the wheel of a car? Oh, all God's people said amen, right? I mean, who hasn't struggled with that? Maybe, maybe, have you ever grown sleepy at church? Oh, this is a little bit more interesting. Oh, all right. Um, uh, you know, you can remember a time when you were nodding off, you know, the phrase nodding off or, or struggling to stay awake. I, I remember a specific time when I was driving in the car and I'm, I'm headed down the highway and it was early morning. The sun is just kind of creeping up and I had stayed up really late because I was afraid to miss my alarm. And I thought this, this meeting was so important in the morning, I'm just gonna drive right away. And what happened is I got so unbelievably tired. Have you ever been in that position in a car? It's not a good place to be. And I had been coached. I'm a college student at the time, and I have been coached by family members. If you ever feel groggy, don't push forward, pull over. But I was being stubborn. And in my stubbornness, young people, putting a lot of people at risk. So learn from me. This was a massive mistake in my life. But I kept just trying to go. And how many of you, when you're falling asleep, you resort to physical abuse of yourself? I'm doing that. I'm, I'm hitting myself, punching myself in the head. Come on, wake up. Just stay awake. Stay awake. I'm squeezing the steering wheel. I'm turning the music up loud. I'm putting the windows down. I'm doing whatever I can to stay awake. But man, I just felt so groggy. Well, I got to a point where I couldn't take it much anymore. I needed to pull off. I gave in and I pulled off and I was on the turnpike. And so I pulled over and I approached the toll gates. Now, now I, I am a, a young person of the 1900s, young people. I go back way back into the 1900s. And so when I was in college, we still had to stop at toll booths and give our money to people. It's unbelievable what we used to do. We, there were people who stood in these boxes, okay? And they, we would have tickets. And we would come up to the toll booth and we'd give them our ticket and pay our toll. And if the person didn't have their money in front of you, it was quite, quite frustrating, right? But, but now in the age of easy pass, we have no idea how much the toll is now. We just drive through, right? And, and so, and so I, I'm, I'm coming up to the toll booth. I'm just going, stay awake, stay awake, stay awake. Come on, stay awake. And I'm saying this, I'm asking the Lord. I literally turn this to prayer. Lord, please help me to stay awake. I need to get to this appointment. Help me to stay awake. And boom, my car stops. Now, fortunately, I was at a toll booth, so I wasn't going at any kind of high speed, but I clearly have hit the car in front of me. And now I'm seeing the door of the car in front of me open. Our toll line has stopped. See, if you look in your rear view mirror, you see this. <laughs> and I'm sitting there at this toll booth, a college student, I must have fallen asleep and I hit the car in front of me. Fortunately, it was a fender bender. Fortunately, I ran into a person of grace. They knew I couldn't be on the phone because we didn't have cell phones at that point. I bumped the car. I get back in my car. He's like, hey, look, it doesn't look like anything major. Keep alert, buddy. Keep alert. Okay, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I get back in my car, drive, pay the toll booth, drive out. A little condemnation from the toll booth person as I, as I left. A couple comments, all right? And as I'm driving out, I'm headed down the road now. And now I'm getting close to the Northeast extension. So you can kind of gather where I'm at. And I'm like this in the car. If you can, if you can zoom in on my eyes. <laughs> I am wide awake. And I realized that Jesus answered my prayer. <laughs> I'm wide awake. Have you ever had something like that happen to you where you prayed to Jesus for something and he answered your prayer and you went, time out. I should have been a little more prescriptive in how I wanted you to answer the prayer. I answered your prayer, you're wide awake. I didn't wanna hit somebody though to learn my lesson. Oh man, there's a point in our lives 
where staying awake has a spiritual emphasis, doesn't it? And we see it throughout scripture. In fact, one of the people who tells you to stay awake has nothing to do with driving, has everything to do with your spiritual lives. So can I ask you, are you dozing off spiritually? What? Are you dozing off? If any of you have ever worked in youth ministries and gone on teen retreats, you know, don't doze off around teenagers. Things can happen to you. A lot of things can happen to you that they think are hilarious. If you know you're in a car, you don't doze off. If you know important information is being shared, you don't doze off. Can I ask you, would Jesus say that right now, the way you're living your spiritual life, you're dozing off on him? How would you want to respond to the message he has for us today? if you were wide awake? And how may this message today encourage you to not doze off, specifically on the subject he's gonna give us today, but instead, stay awake? We're gonna open up the Gospel of Mark. It's chapter 13. Jesus is asked a question about the coming of the age. And he begins to give sort of an end times eschatology, if you will, of what will happen first and then when it will take place. And at times he's cryptic. At times it seems as he's being figurative. At some times he's being very literal and specific. Sometimes it seems like he's speaking for that present time period. And sometimes it seems like he's speaking in the future. And it's very confusing at times. And let's respect the difficulty of this passage today and handle it with humility. But at the same time, let's look at this subject and find out what Jesus at the heart of his message is trying to teach us about how to live awake in a time period where you might see some of the signs of scripture saying it's coming to an end. How do we live? Jesus goes, don't sleep on this. Young people, you know there's a phrase in our society, don't sleep on them, don't sleep on me. What are they saying? They're saying, hey, this is real. I'm gonna do something here, don't think I won't. Don't sleep on this team. If you sleep on this team, you could get surprised by them. The idea is to be alert. And so I wanna encourage you today. If you're tired, this was the wrong sermon for you to come to, right? Because like every five minutes, I'm gonna scream and wake you up. No, I won't do that, I won't do that. But I've warned you if I do. Let's ask the Lord to prepare our hearts to receive the word of God in the gospel of Mark today. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can open your text and thank you that we can hear the living words of God today. Lord, we ask for you to do a work in our lives. For uh, We're dealing with a subject that there's many different views and many different thoughts, but our heart is to know what do you want us to do, Jesus? And so, Lord, as we share it today, may we do so with confidence, but at the same time, humility. For there are things that are just simply so difficult to understand in your word. And so, Lord, I ask that you would remove the room of distraction so that we could focus on what you have to say. Lord, we also ask that you would humble our hearts, that we would be receptive versus combative to your truth. And then, Lord, I pray for just blessing upon those who made it a priority today in a world that offers countless things to do. They made it a priority to sit under your teaching today. Lord, bless them for that. And I pray we believe here differently because we visited this place. We pray all these things in your son's precious name, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. amen. So he came out of the temple, Mark says, and one of his disciples said to him, do you see these buildings? Look at this, look at this. He says, look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. Have you ever been around architecture where the sheer size of the architecture kind of left you dumbfounded? Not long ago, my family went to uh, New York City and we were standing underneath the Empire State Building. And, and, and when you get close to that thing and you look up, you're just like, even the smaller buildings in that city, let alone that, it's just like, are you kidding me? 
Like, are you even kidding me how high that is? That's unbelievable. It looks like it's waving in the air, right? When you look at those buildings. Well, think about living in the time of Christ and being next to this massive temple with the limited technology they had, with the limited architecture they had, to see this massive temple constructed by the wealth of the kingdom in front of them. In this third world kind of type of area to see this amazing temple. And on top of that, it was overlaid in gold. They said if you went over the Mount of Olivet during that time and looked down, the sun would shine off of it and in all its glory. And the disciples are just dumbfounded by it still as they walk past it. And they say, teacher, Jesus, Jesus, look, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus turned to that disciple and he said, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. What? 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 Jesus, what? Yeah, yeah, look at these buildings. Aren't they awesome? Incredible. Yeah, not one stone is gonna be standing one day here. They, They almost couldn't even fathom that. It's as if Jesus wasn't just going, ah, I'm unimpressed. It's almost... Yeah, I can tell you, I can actually see a vision of the future for this building, and it's tumbled to the ground. Was Jesus right? Did that happen? Well, in fact, in 70 AD, at the destruction of Jerusalem, the Romans indeed knocked those buildings down. And it's a reminder to us, when Jesus says something's going to happen, it will happen. It's not gonna maybe happen. It might happen when the word of God says something's going to happen. It will happen. And and as he sat on the Mount of Olives, opposite the temple. Now, if you've ever been to Israel, you would know that the Mount Olivet, if you're still on the top of it, you can kind of look over, you can overlook over Jerusalem, you can look over these areas into this valley. He's sitting on top of the Mount of Olives, opposite the temple, and Peter and James and John and Andrew came up and had a private question for him. Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to take place? When's that gonna happen? And before we see what he says, I wanna take this question for a minute for us to really unpack some of the the interpretation I have for us today of a very difficult subject. Let's compare it with a parallel account in the Gospel of Matthew. See, the Gospel of Matthew records the same situation But it gives a little more detail about the question the disciples ask. Why is that important? Because Jesus' answer seems to be answering multiple things more than even Mark gave us. Here's what I mean. Put up Matthew here for you, Ken, okay? Tell us, when will these things be, you see? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So it's more than just when these things are accomplished, the walls fall down, but, but when will your coming be, Jesus, and the end of the age? This is the context behind the question that Jesus is being asked. When's all this kind of coming to fruition? And Jesus answers them very succinctly, but at the same time, somewhat very difficult to gather. He says this, see that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not here. Remember this. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. Interesting. Jesus gives another glimpse into the future. And remember what we said. What Jesus says will happen, will happen. And so Jesus says, you know what's gonna happen, guys, in the future? There's gonna be teachers who come, even around this temple, 
You're gonna hear them and they're gonna come and they're gonna be saying, I am the Messiah. In fact, you will see these things continue to take place. People will come along claiming to be Christ. There'll be cults that pop up and people saying, I am the Messiah, follow me. Church age, have we seen this to be proven true? 100%. There'll be wars and rumors of wars, church age. Have there been wars and rumors of wars? Okay, okay, um, nation will rise against nation. You're gonna see nations just go after other nations. Church age, open your current social media articles. Has this become true? And on top of that, you'll see earthquakes and famines. These things will be happening and we see these things all playing out. So what will we do? And then Jesus continues and gives out more information. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, guys. And you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say. But say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death. And the father his child. And children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who doors to the end will be saved. Unfortunately, at times, people will take the Bible and kind of treat it like an encyclopedia. And they'll grab verses and pull them out of nowhere and apply them to either to their agenda or their desired points. But if we look at the context of this, Jesus is looking at his Jewish disciples and saying, it's going to be very difficult for you guys. It's going to get really hard. In fact, this must take place still in that context. But the end is not yet. What will take place? Guys, you're gonna get drugged before governors. You're gonna be arrested. You'll be beaten. You will be put on trial. You will be hated by all because of me. But those who endure to the end will be saved. There are those who rip that verse out and go, wait a minute, you have to endure to the end to be saved? Now hang on, church age. Understand. The gospel has been given, but so has the great teachings of the apostle Paul. It's by grace you are saved by faith, not by works lest any of you would boast. I endured to the end, therefore I'm saved. This is not an accomplishment, therefore salvation. Jesus in that context is saying, you will know people who are truly saved by their endurance and perseverance. For in fact, the verses previous to that simply say that people will be giving over their children, they'll be giving over their parents, they'll be doing anything to not deal with the pressures and struggles. But those who endure the end, oh, those are the ones and his message is specifically for his guys that this is what they're going to be seeing. But that's not the end. Those are all in the context of birth pains. In fact, this is the phrase. These are but the beginning of birth pains. I remember three children. I remember people asking me, how's the pregnancy going? And I would say, fine. And she'd hit me like, what do you know? And, and so I want to put a precursor before I talk about what birth pains are like. I have absolute, all the ladies in the room will agree with this. I have no clue what I'm talking about here, okay? And if you're a mom, wow. Wow. And so for me to even talk about this, I had to seek advice from people who have been through this as well as experienced watching my bride go through this, Okay. And, and the different pains that come along with it and the different stages of what she went through. And, and as she would get these sometimes like, oh, what was that? Or, oh, my word, here they go. They're moving like crazy now, right? Or she would just be laying in bed, like just, ah. I'd be like, you awake? Of course I'm awake. I can't even turn on my side. And we watch her go through things, but the doctors would say, we estimate it'll be around this time period 
We anticipate some of these signs for you to watch for. We don't really know the hour. We don't really know the day. But when you see some of these signs, it's time to go to the hospital. Oh, yeah, you're close. So if, if, if you're experiencing this and then all of a sudden that happens, that's not one of those things where you go, well, clearly it's not the time. If that happens, it's time. And Jesus kind of leverages that illustration to say, you may not know the hour, you may not know the exact date, but when you start to see some of these things, I want an eyebrow to go up and go, huh, I wonder if we're getting closer. But then Jesus takes even a deeper step and he starts bringing up things that, wow, must have been so hard for them to fully grasp as he was sharing it. In fact, I believe we have a little bit of a better perspective now, having seen some of the things play out that Jesus talked about, as well as see that the book of Revelation gives us even more clues to what could possibly be coming. Jesus says this, but when you see the abomination of desolation, some of you are like, oh yeah, my wife and I were talking about that in the car the other day. Like what? The abomination of desolation. It sounds like a, 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 like a scary castle or something. What is the abomination of desolation? Standing where he ought not to be. Wait a minute, it's a guy? And then, then Mark says, let the reader understand. No, no, help us understand. Let, figure it out, okay? Um, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. It doesn't say let those who are in Percasy flee to the mountains. So, so there's something specific here. Let those who flee, are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas... Oh, for the women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it will not happen in winter. For in those days, there will be such tribulation as not has been from the beginning of creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be able to be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is. Do not believe it, for false Christs and false prophets are going to arise, and they're going to perform signs and wonders to lead people astray, if possible, the elect. So be on guard. I have told you all these things beforehand. Got it? Have a great week, everyone. abomination of desolation. What is going on? A tribulation? There's going to be a tribulation and it's going to be so terrifying in that time period. People will be going here and there. There's going to be people saying that they're Jesus. It, it, the days are getting shortened or different things. Like what is going on here? And, and, and I want to approach this with a little bit more understanding than just here's what Revelation says, because sometimes I'll hear people talk about end times theology, real dogmatically, which I always think is dangerous. I think there's a lot of things we don't fully grasp. And so if you're a person who has this end times theology and you like to fight, you're not gonna really find a fight with me because I don't feel we should be fighting over these things, but I think we should be considering these things and processing these things. And I always say, when you listen to someone share their view of end times theology, at least respect if they've built it out of the scriptures. Then you can at least go, hey, that's their view. It's a little different than mine, but at least they build it out of scriptures, not, hey, you know what I think? Well, I heard a guy say one time, at least it's built out of the scriptures. And that's what we seek to do at Renew Bible. We seek to build our theology out of the scriptures and then share it with you all on how we look at it. Because sometimes I'll be listening to people share different thoughts about the end times. I'm like, oh my word, they clearly have not read Daniel. They, they got their thoughts about Revelation, but they've really left Daniel. And Daniel's laid out some very specific things that help you understand things, including this abomination of desolation. What am I talking about? Well, if you open up Daniel, yes, you'll hear about the lion and all those things, but there's incredible prophecy in there, including what's often called the 70 weeks prophecy. Here's where it's at. It's in Daniel chapter seven. 
Daniel says this, 70 weeks are decreed about your people in your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to steal both the vision and the prophet and to anoint the most holy place. This is why there's a tribulation coming. You say, why are you talking about tribulation? I'm just been reading about weeks. If you understand the prophecy of Daniel, you'll see these 77s, each week is seven years. So therefore, there is a prophetic clock that has started on Israel. A 490-year prophecy has been started, and the clock's ticking. These 77s, or seven weeks, one week equaling seven years. Well, when did the clock start? Daniel tells you. He says this, Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem, when they hear restore and build Jerusalem from the going out of that word to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there will be seven weeks or 49 years. Then for 62 weeks, 434 years, it shall be built again with squares and a moat, but it will be in a troubled time. So there's this 483 year period where you will see this prophecy play out. Seven weeks are 49, plus 62 weeks are 434, is 483 years. If you are already getting sleepy, let me teach with pictures. In other words, from the going out of the word to restore Jerusalem, 445 BC, King Artaxerxes of Persia, you know that it's in the book of Nehemiah, announced rebuild the walls. If you calculate using a Jewish calendar of 360 days, you will find right around 32 AD, there's an anointed one who appears in Jerusalem and that's none other than Jesus Christ. So 69 of these 70 weeks are fulfilled. But it looks like there's one more week then. And that week is seven years? Yes. So when's the seven years? See, there's this 483 years, and then there seems to be a gap. And that gap is a mystery. In fact, the Apostle Paul said, I want to tell you a mystery. And it's you, the church age. You're this mystery. How long will this go until the final week that's prophesied? And none of us fully know. But the church age has been given a time period. And it falls into this overarching prophecy. But in that 70th week, in that seven-year tribulation, look what happens. Desolations are decreed. And he, we're talking about person, shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. So for one week, seven years, he makes a covenant. And for half of the week, so three and a half years, he shall put an end to the sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Who's the desolator? If you read Daniel, it's very clear. The desolator is the Antichrist. And so the 70th week is the tribulation that Revelation speaks of. 70 weeks are prophesied from the time of Daniel until the time of the conclusion of the 70th week. And I believe that Jesus is referring when he says in those days to none other than the tribulation. In fact, he says the word tribulation. Now, some people, when they think of the tribulation, they're terrified. It's horrifying. And guess what? It is. There are some saying, are, are we in the tribulation? Are, are we experiencing, are we in the birth pains? Are we, are we going through these things? Questions arise and there can be a lot of fear for those who think they're going to be in the tribulation. But you go to the Renew Bible, you know where we stand on the subject and we stand confidently, but we don't stand combatively. But we've built it out of a scripture that we will be raptured out of here, the church age, before this tribulation. We base it off of that text in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18. Some may argue that rapture is not talked about in scripture and the, verse itself, the word itself is not used. It's a Latin word, rapturo, but is the Latin word that is translated into caught up. 
And that is the scripture of 1 Thessalonians that says this. For the Lord himself, church, don't be afraid. You don't have to fear this. Will descend from heaven with a cry of a command, with the voice of an archangel. And with the sound of the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, terrify one another with these words. It's not what it says, isn't it? Therefore, look forward to this day with horrible dread, terrifying even being a lot. No, no. it says, therefore, encourage one another. Let people know about this. And so whenever I talk about end times theology, I tell people, look, I can respect somebody who has at least built it out of scripture. And so here at Renew Bible, we have built a pre-tribute out of the scripture verses that talk about Jesus coming for us, the church age, before this tribulation. I like the acronym given out by Mark Hitchcock of Dallas Theological Seminary. So pre-trib, it best describes, in our view, where the place of the church is in Revelation. If you study the book of Revelation, the church age is talked about in the beginning, a couple chapters, as well as the end but nowhere during the time of tribulation. You say, it's ah, you can't make an argument from silence, but arguments kind of build on top of each other. There's a removal of the restrainer. Do you know what is currently holding the Antichrist back? Second Thessalonians tells you, it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the restrainer. If the Holy Spirit were to be removed, the Antichrist can come into that power. But currently he's being restrained. Well, where does the Holy Spirit live? Inside the church at large. And therefore, if the church is removed, the restrainer's removed, and therefore, it lends itself to allowing the Antichrist to take power. The exemption from divine wrath. It's Revelation chapter three. Some of you will really like this, being in the greater Philadelphia area. If you're listening to us, that's where our church is located. Through the church of Philadelphia, it says, hey, you'll be released from the divine judgment or from the hour of testing. So I kind of like that, but at the same time, it's another verse that you have to make some sort of credence for saying, be removed from the hour of testing. The 24 elders around the throne in Revelation 4, they're described as having white robes and crowns. These are all things promised to the church at the judgment seat of Christ. Therefore, how did that not already happen? The rapture is not the return of Christ. When you study them in comparison, the rapture is different than the return of Christ. The return of Christ, Jesus comes with the saints. The rapture, he comes for the saints. The return of Christ, he comes and stands on top of a mountain and takes over the authority. The rapture, he meets his church in the air. They're not the same events. And when you confuse the two, it can lead to some confusion about the future. We're taught in 1 Corinthians in multiple passages by Paul to anticipate the imminent return of Christ. If we could clearly see the signs being played out before us, how is it imminent when there's certain things that must take place before his return, including the desolation of the temple? And then finally, it's our blessed hope. Titus tells us to look forward to it as a blessed hope. And there could be nothing more hopeful than not being around for the tribulation. Well, what does scripture say about the tribulation, regardless of the timing? What does scripture say? Well, if you open up your Bibles into Revelation, you'll see chapter six through eight talk about the seven seals. We titled our Revelation series that we did in the past seven. Why? Because throughout the book of Revelation, you see seven, 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 seven. Why seven? Why does God love seven? It's a number of completion but it's also the number of how God works. So there were seven seals that are opened up in the beginning of Revelation. It's often referred to as the four horsemen because you hear the four horsemen of the apocalypse and it's talking about the seals that are being opened in those chapters six through eight. Now, if you're thinking seals, are we talking about Navy seals? Kids, literally, they used to have wax that they put on envelopes. They put the wax in and the the kings would push their their symbolet into the wax and it would kind of make the seal. And so you could tell if if the scroll was opened by whether the seal was broken. That's the seal of revelation. There's this scroll, okay, that only one person can open. Anybody know who? Only Jesus. He has the title deed to earth in his hands and he's ripping open the seals one by one. 
And behind every seal comes another judgment on earth. There's global dictatorship, there's global famine, there's global pestilence, and there's global natural disasters. And after the seventh seal, okay, another seven comes, and that's the seven trumpets. The seven trumpets begin with a blast, and then there's global destruction by hail and fire. There's global panic as this wormwood, Revelation talks about, hits the earth and causes all sorts of natural catastrophes. There's global darkness. A third of the atmosphere is blackened, a third of it. And what would that do to vegetation and life if a third of the earth is just blackened? And on top of that, there's global terror as you see the demonic realm is being released onto earth. Demons that have been locked up and imprisoned for what they had done, like Abaddon is spoken of, coming onto earth. And so when people say to me, Pastor Chris, do you think we're in the tribulation? I go, no. Read Revelation. The tribulation is horrifying. And on top of that, there is an unholy trinity that has taken power. Satan, the Antichrist, and this guy called the false prophet who can create images that people believe are real and they worship them. There was a day people had trouble understanding how could you make an image that people thought was real? You don't live in that time period, do you? And that is the seven signs. And the seven signs talk about the Antichrist and what he's like and Satan and the false prophet leading in their global empire, specifically located in this Babylon that you could take to be either figuratively or the actual city of this place. And then on top of that, the last half of the tribulation, it gets worse than ever. Seven bowls of wrath, Revelation talks about in chapters 15 through 18, are poured upon the earth. Large bowls, if you will, of wrath being poured out almost like in liquid form. Divine judgment comes with sores. Then divine judgment with bloodied waters. Then divine judgment with scorching heat. Then divine judgment on Babylon and the Antichrist. And it just keeps getting poured out and poured out and poured out. Gee whiz, when's this going to happen? Jesus says, verse 24, but in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the son of man coming in the clouds with great power and glory and then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Jesus says after these tribulations, you'll see the son of man coming. Revelation tells us in chapter 19 that the Antichrist gathers millions of soldiers in the valley of Megiddo. And in that valley of Megiddo, there Jesus Christ returns with the saints and the angels and squashes the enemy's plans. Let me summarize Revelation regardless of where your end times beliefs may be. Here's, I'm going to summarize Revelation in two words, okay? You don't even have to write them down. I think you'll remember them. Here they are. Jesus wins. That's the revelation there, okay? So when you go, what is revelation? It's the revealing of Jesus. Jesus wins. That's what you have to remember. If you're on Jesus' side, you are a winner. And on top of that, Revelation 20 says, then the setting up of the seven, of the, excuse me, of the millennial kingdom, and then the new heavens and the new earth. And we drew out in our Revelation series, as well as our Daniel series, a little bit of a timeline map that we teach here at Renew Bible that kind of gives you an idea of the 483 years when the clock starts in Daniel 9. He tells us the clock starts at the 69 weeks, then the first coming of the Messiah. He comes in, triumphal entry, then this church age, this mystery, and I put us here at present day, but you could argue it could be back here. I just think we all wish it was almost over, so I put it there, okay? And, and then the blessed hope, our rapture, then the tribulation, halfway through the abomination of desolation, Armageddon, the second coming, a millennial year reign, the white throne judgment, the last judgment, and then the new heavens and the new eternal state, all laid out in the book of Revelation. And some say, well, when is all this going to kind of start? Regardless, when does this start? And Jesus says this. 
But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. Have you noticed that people have come along saying they know the date? They know the time, they, they billboards, all these things. Almost every cult, almost every man-made religion has got, tried to guess the date Jesus is returning almost every time, okay? And so when you see this, okay? And when you see somebody on TV or on the news, young people, and you hear in your college, this person says that Jesus is coming back. You remember this verse. But concerning the day or the hour, no one knows, not even the, the angels don't know, but this group over here studied it and figured it out. Just, just remember that. Jesus starts telling the story. It's like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home and he puts his servants in charge, each with his own work, and he commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come. In the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or even in the morning. Lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all. Two words, ready? Stay awake. Stay awake. Revelation, prophecy, Daniel, these have been given to us for us to stay awake, not live in torment and terror and fear. Children of God, there are plenty of people who are gonna make a lot of money on clickbait getting you to be scared. It's actually a pretty profitable business because people don't click on hope, sadly. They click on fear. And if it can be terrified of the future, it can cripple your now. Prophecy was given to us for warning, to stay awake, but also for grace. For it gives us a chance to react to what is potentially coming. Everybody knows when you anticipate something, it changes the way you behave. Ask a coach in this room. If an athlete anticipating what's going to happen gives him a better reaction to what's being thrown his way. Hey, bud, listen to me. Scouting report says 2-2 two, two count. This guy goes slider every time. Remember that. 2-2. Two, two. Okay. He's going slider. He's going slider. Oh, he stayed. How did he stay off it? The Phillies can't stay off the slider. How did he? No, no, I'm still, still recovering. <laughs> because of anticipation. Jesus wants us to anticipate, not be afraid. For revelation, he's revealing himself. I win. You're on the winning side. Sometimes I like to record my favorite teams playing sports. I only go back and watch them if I knew they won. I don't go back and watch the losses. But if I know they won, I watch it. And you should see me. I'm so stress-free when we're down 4-2 when I know we win in the ninth. I'm so stress-free. I'm sitting there going, I don't even care. <laughs> you watch how this goes. That's how Jesus wants children of him to behave. Oh, it don't look good for the church. I've been reading some articles like... And maybe look down now, wait till you see this nothing and come back. It's going to be great. I'm relaxed because my Savior is. He, he gives it to us for preparation, but also for perspective. Look, how should I be living if this all one day is going to burn? It, it gives us perspective. And for judgment, yes, there will be a judgment on wickedness. If you pray like, God, the atrocities of this world, you need to do something. He's going to do something. But he also gives it to us for trust. When you're in the ministry for a long time, you're a part of a lot of weddings. And I remember specifically hearing about a certain wedding where a groom was running late. In fact, he ran quite late. And the bride was left all dressed up and ready, and he wasn't there. And the hour was growing closer and closer. He said he would come, and now... He's not quite there when she expected him to be there. And so they began to ask her, is he, is, is he coming? And the, and, the, and the pastor who was sharing this with me said, this was before cell phones. We were calling landlines. I mean, now you can text, where are you at? 
He goes, we really don't know where he is. And then people say, do you think he's not coming? No, he's, he's not coming. He's coming, I mean. And the, and the bride just so defiantly, he'll be here. 15 minutes go past, he said. Chris, 15 minutes past. You start going, what am I gonna do? Because he's the pastor leading the ceremony. We got a groom 15 minutes late. We got to start giving communication out soon. People are all shaking. Oh, it's so good you're here. They start looking around like, I wonder why we haven't started yet. We get up to 30 minutes, he said, Chris. We get up to 30 minutes and we're all standing with the bride. Um, should uh, your dad went to find him? Yeah, he went back to the house. He'll be here. He'll be fine. And he said, it was remarkable watching her because even some of the girls were going, I mean, did you guys, anything happen this week? Like, why is he not here? It was one thing he wasn't early. Now he's late. He goes, but Chris, you should have seen her. She just stayed ready. She stayed calm. You see, when you have to wait for somebody, your trust in their character begins to get challenged, doesn't it? He is who he says he is. He said he would come, right? People come around you and go, where is he then? If he said he's coming, how come he's not here? And your trust starts to, to struggle around people unless you know who the groom is. Does the groom keep his promise? Does he do what he says? And so if he's not here when I expect, he must have something more important or something that is delaying him intentionally. See, when you trust the groom, you can stand there in defiance that what he said he will do. I'm not taking my dress off and changing into something else. I'm staying ready. He will be here. He said, Chris, 45 minutes later, some guests standing around, he comes in. <sighs> and she was like, there he is. So that's gonna be a good marriage if she was that calm. That's gonna be a good marriage. He couldn't find the rings. And he wanted to deliver on his promise and give her the ring. Church, you're a bride waiting for a groom, scripture says. And that's Jesus Christ. And he's asked you to stay awake. I got thinking, how can I challenge us to stay awake? I mean, how can we live with the thought that it could be even today? How are we supposed to live? Well, as a bride waiting for her groom, may we stay S ready. Stay prepared for him. Don't bail out. Don't let seasons of doubt cloud you. Stay ready. He'll deliver on his word. May we T, may we trust his word. And what he says he will do, he will do. May we, A, anticipate his arrival. May we look forward to the day we see him. May we write songs in this church age of I can only imagine and the day I look on him just to see Jesus. May we anticipate. May we also yearn for his appearing. Oh, he's gonna be here any soon. I'm gonna yearn for it. The apostle Paul says, you will receive a crown and glory for those who live their lives yearning for his appearing. May we A, advise others he's coming. We've been given a challenge, church, to be sharing with others that Jesus is coming and it could happen at any moment. May we W, may we wait patiently, not complaining or not frustrated, but understand God's timing is perfect and he will orchestrate his plan how he sees fit. May we, A, allow the signs to unfold. If Jesus says this is what's gonna happen, why sometimes do we read the Bible as if we should stop it? This is what God's playing out. This will happen in the future regardless if we want it to or not. And therefore, we can trust that what he does will be best. Allow it to unfold versus fighting it. You haven't been called church to say, I won't let this happen, not on my watch. Okay. 
Keep faithful to him. Be a pure bride. Jesus is coming soon. Imagine being caught doing an impure act or watching an impure thing the moment your Savior arrives. Are we waiting for him? So often, we fall asleep and we get bogged down by the things of the world and we forget to be waiting for him is not just inactivity. It's not nodding off. And that's why we expect things to deteriorate. We're not surprised at the state of the world. This is what our Bible told us would happen. But we're a bride waiting for a groom and we know he will come. And therefore, if you're in this age of grace, make it your goal to be a part of the bride, the church, by accepting Christ as your personal savior. There will be a day when Jesus meets his church in the air. There will be a day when he comes with his children to earth and reign in victory. But we don't know the day or the hour all these events begin to take place. So may we stay awake in the meantime. Heavenly Father, even so come. Jesus, we are waiting for you. And we love you and we cherish you and we long for your appearing. We anticipate the day that you call us home. But we'd also be remiss to not think that this tribulation day will come and there may be people who are banging on the doors of Renew Bible Church in Percocet and the place is empty. And they remember the things they heard that they were kind of nodding off to. And they see things unfolding that they remember a preacher talking about but they were nodding off. And they find themselves in a time period that clearly all the signs are unfolding before them. And Jesus said, a generation will not pass until they see this. That generation is the generation that will be living during that time period. May they, even if they find a site on Renew Bible's website and click on this sermon. May they listen and say there's still time for them except Christ. For even during the tribulation, there will be a revival. But scripture says there will also be a hunting going on from the demonic leaders of that day. I pray, not only for those gathered now, that they would call upon the name of the Lord, but all those who might be nodding off to this future church stuff, if you will, that they've compartmentalized it into, that they would take this message seriously and wake up for you long to give them a hug in glory as well and smile and look at them for they called on the name of the Lord to be saved. Lord, thank you for the warning. May we never live in fear, but anticipation of our groom coming through the doors. And in the meantime, may we stay awake in the way we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.